I've got two left feet, at least when it comes to the dance floor. Um, there's a story. When I was 18, I went to a church disco, about 50, 60 of us there. I was bopping away like you did in the 80s, however it was. And, uh, and some, a bit like that. So, some, not like that. Well, you'll know why in a minute. Some young lady sidled up to me and uh, she was bopping away. And, I, and she asked me for my name. And mis- possibly misreading the signals, I, uh, <laughs> I gave her my name and carried on bopping, thinking, great. And uh, it wasn't so long after that the DJ turned the music down and then announced uh, the winners of two awards. And the first award for the worst dancer on the dance floor is Tim Mayton. Oh my word, how painful. I've got a Mars bar, that was the only kind of silver lining, really, out of the whole occasion. Um, And I just want to prove to you, uh, maybe I will, maybe I won't, that I'm a little bit better now. And uh, some years ago, Carrie and I went to dance lessons. As you can imagine, it was a big healing process for me. Now, it's been four years since those dance lessons, and there is a relevance here. Don't worry, this is not entertainment. Uh, although you could package this up and make a show of it on Saturday night and everyone watch it. It's probably a bit similar to that. So here we go. Okay, we're going to open the Bible at Matthew chapter 11. This term, if you've been with us, we've been looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And we've been looking through the book of Matthew and his account of Jesus' life uh, to teach us about discipleship, about being a follower of him. And we're going to look today at one of the metaphors, one of the illustrations that Jesus himself uses for describing and explaining discipleship. So we've got a couple of verses. Matthew 11, it will come up behind me as well. If you haven't got a Bible, it doesn't matter. Verse 28 to 13. Come to me, this is Jesus speaking, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would help us understand these simple verses 
by your Holy Spirit. Be with us right now. Teach us some things and lead us into following you more wholeheartedly and completely in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first thing I note is some encouragement from this verse. It starts in verse 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In other words, hey, are you weary? Are you burdened? Then there's rest. Jesus is offering us rest. And there may be different reasons why different ones of us are feeling weary or burdened. But the good news is there is rest for each of us in Jesus. You may be one of these people. You may be someone wearied and burdened by the challenges of life. Life is challenging at times. Many of you may be stressed out. Work pressures, money worries, relationship breakdowns. You may be struggling to cope with the things of life, the mental, the emotional, the physical symptoms are something you're having to deal with. Jesus is offering you rest. You may be weary and burdened by religious rules and regulations. The context for Matthew, really, he was writing for a Jewish audience uh, whose law-based religion had become somewhat bogged down with a whole raft of do's and don'ts that the scribes and Pharisees had prescribed. But whether you're following a religion, uh, a defined one, a recognized one like Judaism or Islam or Hinduism, or you're following a kind of rule-based form of Christianity, or perhaps you're following your own version of how to live a successful life, or how to be a nice person, or how to live a healthy lifestyle, or how to achieve mindfulness, which seems to be the current trend, You'll have a system, you'll have rules, you'll have some framework that you're trying to operate within and sooner or later I'm sure you'll feel a failure. You won't have measured up, you'll have missed it. And if nothing else, you may also just feel exhausted in your attempts to keep up with these expectations you're putting on yourself. The good news is, Jesus is offering you rest. And thirdly, you may be a Christian, put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ but you're still feeling weary. You're still feeling burdened. Maybe you're trying to strive to be, to live, to do the things that Jesus did. You may be carrying with you frustrations, disappointments, feelings of being overwhelmed. You may have been or are burnt out. You may be on the verge of giving up, giving in on the things of God, backing off. And Jesus, again, is offering you rest. That's good news. That's good news for all of us this morning. And I just want to walk through sort of three steps I think Jesus is highlighting here for how we find this rest. How we receive this gift of God's rest. Described here as rest for your soul. This is, just, this is something deep. This is something spiritual, yes. This is something eternal, yes. People often do, don't they? Chisel out, R.I.P., on the tombstones or gravestones uh, when people pass away. It's a hope that they'll be resting, they, they will rest in peace. But will they? Will you? you just, I think he's saying here, no, you need to find it now, this side. And if you find rest in me now, then there will be peace to come as well. So three steps. The first one is this. Come to Jesus. The first thing Jesus says is, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. 
So to experience rest that Jesus is talking about, you don't come to a religion, you don't come to a set of doctrines, you don't come to a philosophy or a system, you come to a person. You come to the person of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus isn't around on earth anymore in a physical form. So how do we do that? How do we come to Jesus? Well, we come, I believe, by faith, by putting our trust in him. And I'm going to give you two quick reasons why you can do that. Uh, I know if you've been on Alpha, you've been looking at the themes of who is Jesus and why did Jesus die? Well, two reasons you can put your faith in Jesus is firstly because Jesus is God. In fact, the preceding verse, the one I've been reading here, verse 27, is Jesus bringing that very claim himself explicitly. He said this in verse 27, No one knows the Son, referring to himself, except the Father, referring to the one true creator God, and no one knows the Father except the Son. He's putting himself on a par as equal to the Father, God in heaven. It was considered blasphemous then. It was considered blasphemous when he said it, those kind of things later, and it led to him being killed. You can put your faith in Jesus because he is God. You can put your trust in Jesus also because he's alive today. He did die by an excruciating, barbaric form of execution under the hand of the Romans called crucifixion. Three days later, he did rise again to life. It's what we've been celebrating and singing this morning. He conquered death. He is the victor, and he is alive today, and he will remain alive forever. And that proves he's God, and there's evidence for it, and it gives us reason to put our trust in Jesus. So that's step one, come to Jesus. Step two is interesting. We've just heard, haven't we? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And you might now, with your eyes closed, just imagine yourself in some kind of heavenly Caribbean, uh, with islands, with golden sand and sunshine, and you're lying on the sun lounger, enjoying this rest that is promised. And the angels are coming, and they're giving you cocktails, and they're fanning your face. And then you read the next verse, and it says this, Take my yoke upon you. Hello? I mean, you said, take my yoke upon you. You kind of think, if you know anything about yokes, and I'll look at one in a minute, you think, hello, how do these two verses go together? Rest and yoke, they don't seem to go together. As someone you know, got jumbled up, did they drop the Bible one day and pick it up in the wrong order? You know, was there some kind of crazy cut and paste thing going on, and uh, kind of something got slotted in where it shouldn't have? Do these two things fit together? In fact, as you look through Matthew, you find that Jesus said a number of crazy things, crazy sounding things. Earlier on in chapter 7, he said effectively, take that floorboard out of your face, and you might be able to see the the splinter in someone else's face. It's a bit weird. He said this, he said, it's easier to get a camel through a pinhole than to get a rich man into the kingdom of heaven. Huh? He, said, he said this, you, you've strained out the fly in your soup, but you've left the elephant in there. Well, something like that, camel at the time, chapter 23, 24. So maybe, maybe, maybe this isn't a cut and paste mistake. Maybe there's something in this weird combination of statements. I think basically Jesus is saying, you want to find rest, then you need to come to me 
and you need to put this on. Now, I hope to get a physical example. I've scoured Oxted and the surrounding areas of Tandridge, and I can't find any farmers, and I can't find any who still use this device, in our area at least. Um, I was communicating with people overseas, and I was trying to get one through eBay, but it wasn't going to come for another few months. So, this is the, good, this is the best you've got. But this is a yoke. Uh, it's a twin yoke, and you put two oxen in each of those hoops, and together they go forward into the farm, into the fields. And it's a surprising metaphor, isn't it? And it's, it's extra surprising because actually if you do a bit of a study on the word yoke in the Bible, and it gets 60 mentions, at least from the count I got, almost all of them are negative. There's a couple that describe, that use it in a neutral sense. It's a measure of wealth. Oh, Job had a hundred yoke of oxen. Oh, wow, yeah, hundred. Oh, yeah, you're meant to be impressed. But apart from that, every other mention of yokes is a negative one. They symbolise hard labour. They symbolise oppression and slavery, such as when the Hebrews were in Egypt, enslaved to them, or when the Israelites were under the oppression of one of their kings, or maybe one of the foreign kings that had ruled their nation for that time. And spiritually speaking, it's the same. There's quite a negative connotation with yokes. It talks about us being enslaved to Satan. All of us start from that position. That's how we come into this world, enslaved, whether we realise it or not, to Satan. We're yoked to the evil one. And with it comes the burden of sin, the yoke of sin, the, the yoke, the burden of God's judgment, of wrath over our lives. That's how we start. But the wonderful news is we know that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has broken that yoke. He's broken that yoke by us putting our faith in Jesus. So we're free. We are free from Satan's ownership, from sin's slavery, and from hell's destiny. Hallelujah. That's a hallelujah moment, by the way. Hallelujah. Yeah. As we come to Jesus in faith. So it's somewhat, again, surprising. Come to me and put on this yoke. That Jesus suddenly uses it in a different way. It's another yoke. It's a different yoke. But it's a yoke nonetheless. What's going on? Well, if you've been with us over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at discipleship. And one of the phrases we've been wrestling with is understanding discipleship as surrendering our lives to Jesus. This concept of surrender to him. And I think what Jesus is doing here is giving us a bit more of an illustration of what that means. Surrendering our lives to Jesus means yoking ourselves to him. It's the metaphor he chose to help us understand this. And yoking ourselves to Jesus, he's in one of these hoops, is about you getting into that other one. Willingly, consciously submitting yourself to his authority. So he's your master, he's your king, he's your lord, he's your boss, he's your leader. You've turned your life over to him to lead you. We're not coming to Jesus for a quick fix, for good advice. We're not coming simply to receive a, a gift of eternal life and forgiveness and then going on our merry way. Back to our own life. No, Jesus is inviting us to yoke ourselves to him, to walk with him through life and into the next life, to experience relating to him day by day. I'm told that when you, uh, if you were to, uh, yoke two oxen together, you get a strong one, a mature one, a seasoned ox, 
and you'd put a young one, an immature new uh, ox next to him and they would go together. In fact, the strong one would carry the weight. The strong one would determine the pace and the direction with which they're going to go in, and the younger one would follow the lead. In fact, the younger one would take very little of the strain and have no decision over where the two of them go together. And I've got another little illustration I want to use to try and bring this to life for some of us. So I'm just looking around. Uh, let me say, Jean-Marc, come and be our strong ox please. Would you be up for that? And who else have we got in here? Um, Amy, you're looking relaxed. <laughs> Would you come and be our young, tender ox, please? Would you be up for that? Okay, well, I'm, what I'm going to do, I haven't told you that, have I? You've been very good. I'm gonna, we're going to tie your legs together. There's going to be a bit of a, bit, a, bit of a three-legged moment here going on. Okay, so we've got this. Um, so come, 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 come. Okay, okay. Uh, maybe, maybe down here. It's my best scarf. It was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, Jean-Marc, I'm simply going to ask you to start walking slowly in this direction, okay? And, and Amy, I'm going to invite you to go back to your chair. All right, so uh, let's begin. Let's see how far we go with that. Okay, okay. I think, I think Jean-Marc is kind of winning that one. Okay, now what you can do, uh, I want you to keep coming this way, Jean-Marc, but this time, Amy, I want you just to follow Jean-Marc's lead. And if he goes left, go left. If he goes right, go right. Try and match his pace. Try and go where he goes. Yeah, it takes a little bit of working too. Yeah, yeah. That's it. You've got to do the mirror image, haven't you? You got it, Amy. Well done. Give him a round of applause. Of course, you've got to do the mirror image, haven't you? Well done, well done. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Oh, dear. Well, let's look at verse 30, because verse 30 here tells a little bit more about this yoke. Uh, for my yoke, Jesus says, is easy, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. That's not Jesus using American slang for how he likes his fried eggs. It's, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're still on the same metaphor. We haven't switched. No, we're still talking about our oxen. God's yoke is easy, as we saw in that example, when we let him lead. See, it's not an iron yoke. It's not designed to weigh heavy. It's not meant to hurt and restrict movement, but neither is it spongy. Neither is it a piece of elastic. Jesus isn't saying, here, take my bungee rope. Jesus isn't saying, here, uh, attach yourself to this extendable dog lead. Do you know those? Or they press a button and whoo, the dog's gone. He's not, that's not what he's saying. He's not going to take one of those and on your, on your way, off you go, and pretty much do what you want. You're connected to me. And maybe if you go too far, there'll be a bit, whoa, a bit of a tug, you know, on the bungee or the dog. You've seen that dog, you know, it's suddenly, oh, yeah, it's at the end of the rope. We're not tethered to Jesus. No, no, we're yoked to Jesus. You see, this, this oxen yoke is, is made of wood. It's relatively light, but it's firm. It's designed and carved. Let's just have a look at this next one. Uh, we've got the one with the uh, cows on it. Have a look at that one. Um, it's designed to fit. It's designed to shape. It's designed perfectly for the two animals to work together in. They almost like they're enjoying themselves, don't they? 
It, it, it's, it's, meant, it's across the shoulders for an ox because that's the comfortable place. It wouldn't be for us, would it? But it is if we're ox. Uh, and it's, it's, it's designed so it distributes the weight around both sides of each of the ox. It, it, it provides efficiency. It's, it's comfortable to wear. The, the yoke of God is light. Again, when we let him take the strain. And he takes the lead. One of the things uh, God's been speaking to me about, uh, which may encourage you or not, is that discipleship can hurt. That's nice. Discipleship in Jesus can hurt. But I've come to realise, looking at this, it, it hurts like when Amy tried to go the opposite direction. She could end up on the floor. Now, John Mark was very careful. But if, if we try and sit down, it, if we go in a different direction, if we don't match the pace, if we have a, you know, a bit of a fit and sort of stand still and stamp our feet, it's going to hurt because he's going to keep going. He, he, he's going to go in the route that he's decided and those are moments of our training. Those are moments of pain, perhaps. But as we're encouraged by Hebrews 12, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later, though, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. That sounds like rest for those who have been trained by it. You see, my example of the ballroom dancing, however poor it might have been, I think it's quite a good one. Because little benounce to you, I was leading her. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I know it didn't look like it at all, did it? No, I know. Yeah. But I mean, she did count me in, as she always does. Uh, but after that, after that, I was on my own. Uh, and my little brain had to work quite hard. I had to think ahead. I had to think, there's, a, there's, there's something here. I've got to move around this. I don't want to crash into that. She can't see where she's going. I, I, I've got to take the lead. That's how ballroom and Latin dancing works. It, it was possibly the best marriage, marriage seminar I ever went on. <laughs> Um, but that's for another sermon. But it's something of that illustration in, in this, in this yoke thing as well. Because you might not have realised it, but with subtle movements of my hand on her shoulder blade, if you've ever done any dancing, I was communicating to her where we're going next. So when we did the way bit, yeah, that was because I was doing a little bit of a thing there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now you're impressed. And, uh, and when she did the woo thing, uh, that's because that's, I, we didn't choreograph that. It's not Strictly Come Dancing. It doesn't work like that. No, they, the, 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 the Muppet in Strictly Done Dancing has been told, put your foot there, 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 there. You know, it's choreographed. Life isn't choreographed. That wasn't choreographed. I decided. And she was thinking, is he going to do it now? Whoa, no, no. Is he going to wait a bit? Oh, you're going to wait a bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah, I've got to think about it. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's going on in a dance. There's something about that as we yoke ourselves to Jesus. And thirdly, the third step is that we learn from Jesus. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's about learning. I'm told from those who know that the word here, the original word for learn, is the verb from which the word disciple comes. Ah, I'm discipled as I'm yoked to Jesus. We've been looking, haven't we, recently at the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus' amazing teaching, and the, the nine uh, healings and miracles that he performed afterwards. And I think it's just helpful, actually, to go back over that. Maybe you'll do that this week in Life Group or in Impact or maybe on Alpha. And just think of it again with this metaphor of being yoked to Jesus. Because we learn a few things. First, I suggest to you that we learn to be more like Jesus, yoked to him. 
You see, the two characteristics that Jesus highlights about himself in this passage are these. For I am gentle and humble in heart. He says that. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And I was just alerted to the fact that some of these same traits are buried in the Beatitudes at the beginning of chapter 5 of Matthew that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. In different versions here, just to pull it out a little bit more explicitly. How happy are the humble-minded for the kingdom of heaven is there. Matthew 5.3. Blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. You see, Jesus has all of those beautiful characteristics. His character is already pure and perfect and divine. And we learn to be like him as we dance with him, as we're yoked with him. For he is gentle. And as we follow his steps, and we're a bit clumsy to start with, and we follow his lead, and it takes getting used to, doesn't it, Amy? You've got to get the right foot forward. When we do that, we become more like him in his beautiful character. See, just like John Mark, Jesus is the ultimate gentle giant of an ox that we're yoked to. He is the perfect gentleman leading the dance. He is the best big brother setting the pace and the direction of your three-legged race. That's who he is. It's in him. So when you get to a passage, you might want to look at this in Life Group, in Galatians 5, where we talked about life in the spirit. It's just interesting how these things kind of connect in, really. Not using the same metaphor, but the same kind of idea. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again to a yoke of slavery. Don't pick up that yoke again. That's been broken over you. Verse 26, so I say, live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Verse 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These things will become you naturally as you follow his lead, as you submit to him. As natural as fruit growing on a tree. It is easy when we submit to him. And secondly, what do we learn? We learn to live more like Jesus. So you yoke to Jesus the extraordinarily high moral bar that Jesus sets in chapters 5 to 7 on the Sermon on the Mount is not only achievable, but dare I say, can be easy. That can seem a long way, can't it, sometimes from what we're experiencing. But let's believe it. Jesus said some amazing things, didn't he, in this sermon. just want to highlight some, a few things if you've not read it before. Uh, here we go. Um, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Whoa. Anyone who says you fall will be in danger of the fire of hell. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. Do not swear at all. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. 
Look at this one. I tell you, love your enemies. Oh my. Pray for those who persecute you. Give to the needy. When you pray, pray to your Father. When you fast, don't store up treasure for yourself on earth, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven with generosity. I tell you, do not worry. There's no half measure there, is there? Do not worry about your life, about your body, about what you're going to eat. Do not judge. Whoa. We can learn to live like Jesus. We can learn to meet the high moral standards that he himself met. Only, (laughs) only by being yoked to him. It's interesting, again, Jesus ends that sermon with uh, a metaphor about fruit. Matthew 7.20, Jesus says, Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Again, it just, it's, there's something easy about fruit, growing on a fruit tree, isn't there? It just happens, because that's what it's meant to do. And there's something easy, we've got to get it into us, about being yoked to Jesus and following his moves, looking to him throughout every stage of life, through every decision, through every challenge, through every pain, somehow we can, we can grow in these things like fruit on a tree, like an easy yoke. And thirdly, we learn to work more like Jesus. Got another picture here. You see why Jesus uses the yoke analogy and not the ballroom dance analogy and not the three-legged race analogy is because there's something we mustn't miss. We're called to work. We're called to serve. There is Jesus stuff to do. And the yoke is is a working implement, isn't it? It's an agricultural device to help efficiency in the harvest field, in plowing, in pulling carts of harvest. We mustn't miss this. Jesus knew what he was doing here. He's told us in the Sermon on the Mount what to be like and how to live. He's telling us that we achieve that by yoking ourselves to him. We've got these nine miracles in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew. And we're meant to be amazed by them. And then we read about Jesus and the crowd in Matthew 10, verse 36. All these people, quite understandably, were gathering to Jesus. There was a whole crowd of people of all types. The word had got out. People who were healed by him. Demons that had been delivered from people. You know, they, they were gathering to hear and to see the wonders uh, that he was about. And we're told here that Jesus had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And straight away, we haven't looked at it really, but in Matthew 10, straight after, the answer comes to that prayer. Jesus sends out the 12, his closest followers, with his authority and his mandate to go and do the same as Jesus had been doing himself. 
but they'd hardly, they'd only been around a little while. He said to them, as you go, 10 verse 7, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. And then this metaphor comes about yoking. The disciples get back. We don't really hear their report in Matthew. How did you get on, guys? What was it like? Did you see demons flee? Did you, did you see the dead raised? We don't know. We haven't got their report. But we do have Jesus' response. Take up my yoke. Learn from me. I think it was part of that discipleship school of doing the stuff that Jesus has asked us to do. It's a huge task. Jesus looked out on the crowds. It was a huge task. Jesus, even in himself, although he was God, limited to one human, he knew he couldn't do everything. So he commissioned the 12. In fact, the whole of Matthew is this unfolding commissioning of Jesus for others to go who are his followers, after him. It ends, doesn't it? Of course, famously, in Matthew 28 with the Great Commission, go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, healing the sick, driving out demons, raising the dead. It's a huge task. Compassion, Jesus had it, but he wants us to continue the stuff. Being yoked to Jesus, submitting to him and learning from him. And only then, I think, can we, church, begin to see, ah, yes, like Jesus, Keeping an eye on him all the way, following him. Yeah, Jesus, because Jesus saw what the Father was doing. Yeah, I can see now. And he did what the Father was doing. Jesus had all authority. Verse 26, just again preceding this passage I've been looking at, says that um, God had given him all things. All things have been committed to me by my Father, said Jesus. All things, all things, all authority. It's in Jesus, from him. And as we watch... And Jesus then sends us with his authority to do the same things. Yes, Jesus, your authority. I'm following you. I'm following your righteousness. I'm living in your righteousness and your righteous ways. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus is there. I'm following Jesus. Jesus is led by the Spirit. I'm led by the Spirit. I'm learning how to lead by the, be led by the Spirit. Yoke to Jesus. Yoke to him. We learn how to do. We learn how to do the things that Jesus wants of us. Our vision, as we looked at last week, is to double in the next five years in every which way. We announced a reinvigoration or, or new initiatives, five of them, for how we can bless our community around us. Uh, plus, we've got the day job. Uh, plus, we want to grow in mission, as we hope to tonight, as we gather at half six. Uh, we, we want to grow in prayer. We've got family responsibilities. We've got other pursuits. We've got all sorts of things. I don't know about you. Sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to feel overwhelmed. We sang a song about it earlier. We can feel overwhelmed. We can feel exhausted before we started. It just looks a lot. <laughs> How are we going to get this done? You know, we know, don't we, church, that we're saved by grace. Come to Jesus. We know that we're sanctified by grace. We're yoked to Jesus. We're changed. We're transformed to be more like him in his character. And, let me tell you, we serve by grace. We serve, we do works by grace. If there's stuff to do, there's grace for it. If Jesus is asking you or me to do anything, or this church to do anything, there is grace for it. There's a whopping harvest field. 
There's a bountiful harvest. It's going to require work and plowing and pulling. Yet yoked to Jesus, it will be a light thing. There will be grace for it. I think Paul discovered this. Uh, I haven't got time to look at all the references, but probably the most explicit is in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He said this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. The other apostles he's talking about. Yet not I. Yet not I. But the grace of God that was with me. You see, when we're working in the grace of God, in the flow of God, as we're yoked to him, watching what he wants of us, then we will work hard and achieve much and gather in the harvest. We will be the answer to that prayer for workers in the harvest field. If we take our eye off, if we start doing things because we think they're a good idea, we'll cover cropper. We will be exhausted. We won't get much done of any value. See, being on kingdom mission becomes exhilarating rather than exhausting when we're yoked to him. It's done by grace rather than grit. And there's something restful, there's something refreshing by doing it. So if you're exhausted, it's not time to sit back, take it easy, church. It's time to take up his yoke for you, for us. There may be things you have to stop doing. There may be things that are good to do, but not for you, not for now. God may be leading you into new things, may he want you to respond to some of these new initiatives, but make sure it's him who's guided you, not just your initial emotional response, perhaps. And you may need to make space. You may need to ask, God, what don't you want me to do anymore so we can get this done together? Let's just stand as I finish. Just to remind you, the the three steps. Come to Jesus. Yoke to him. And learn from him. Learn to be and to love and to work. Amen.